Welcome to the Channel Champions Podcast, powered by Evolve IP, hosted by Zach Anderson. Today, we'll explore the always evolving landscape of the IT, telephony, and communications channel. If you are a trusted advisor, strategist, IT consultant, or sales engineer, this one's for you. Today's guest is... Welcome, everybody, to the Channel Champions Podcast. This is episode 14. Today, I have the president of the Channel Advisors. He's got more than 17 years in the technology space. He's been on the supplier side as well as the TSD side of the channel. And now with his new company, he's helping suppliers break into the channel. He is a channel guru and a true champion of the channel. And I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Cameron Olson, sir. Thanks for, thanks for having me, Zach. Excited to be on your, on your podcast. I am glad you're here. Um, and we'll do a little bit deeper of an intro in just a second. But today, basically, we're talking about um, the evolution of the channel and specifically how suppliers can deepen their relationships with the channel partner community. Um, I know you've got a lot of experience with that, so I'm, I'm really excited to get into it. But let's talk about you for a bit. Let's, uh, let's talk okay. about, uh, you know... Tell everybody what what you want them to know about you. When did you get started, and how's it going? Yeah, so I, I uh, like most people, typically uh, fell into the channel or fell into the space. Yeah, it's the Hotel California. Once you're here, you never leave. Kind of experience. Uh, my journey got started back in 2006, where I uh, joined a company that sold prem-based phone systems in Utah. Small little interconnect. Um, and we just sold the, the hell out of, of prem-based systems in teeny little Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, the company I was with had been around for 30 years since the divestiture of the Bells in the 70s uh, and 80s and, and just started selling then. And I came on and, uh, and, and the owner was uh, uh, an amazing gentleman. His name's Robert Brown, a uh, great, great gentleman in the channel. Um, but he took me under his wing and Kind of picked me up and told, taught me how to how to sell and how to sell prem based equipment and phone systems and we just had a great time doing it. A um, couple of years later in 2008, we transitioned that company. He brought me on as a partner and we built a company called Yiptel, which was a a, a UCAS company uh, back at the time. And between between 2008 and, and 2018, we built that company. Um, funny story across the freeway from our offices was a teeny little company called Tolaris um, and, and uh, got to know uh, Adam and uh, Patrick over there across the freeway, bumped into them. And, and, and they told us about this company that they were doing and how they were aggregating services. And, and, and uh, a couple of years later, we ended up uh, getting into their product portfolio. And that's where we transitioned, right? So we already went from prem-based to kind of this hosted UCAS model. Mm-hmm. And then we went from direct to, to indirect. And, and over those 10 years, man, we, we evolved so many times and, and grew from about a 10 person office to a little over a hundred people, around a hundred people in the top 10 of Tolaris and just got to know the Tolaris family really well. So, um, after 2018, sold that, uh, company off to Broad Voice out of California, stuck around them with a year and then, uh, for about a year. And then after that, Tolaris, um, all my buddies were working at Tolaris. We had a, a, a good family community and, and they just asked me to come and join their team. So no. I went and did that for a couple of years. That's great. Yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely, I definitely want to get into your time at uh, Tolaris, but you know, I'm curious to know what did the UCAS space look like back in 2008? What were the, you know, what was popular at the time? I know uh, we like to, we like to talk about what's popular. So what, what was yeah, it like yeah. back then? Well, what's, what's interesting is I dive into cybersecurity over the last couple months. It's funny on how similar they were back 10 years ago, 15 years ago to, to where cyber is today, right? So, so when we first started selling this, you'd have to go to one company for your dial tone, another company for your phone, another company for your soft software. Another company for the soft phone because the software and the soft phone didn't usually connect. Mm-hmm. So you had four or five different providers to make up one solution and a provider aggregated all of those solutions into one to give you one kind of seamless experience. 
Uh, and then when Broadsoft and Metaswitch and all those guys came onto the scene, you saw more and more and more of this, this consolidation of the space. And somebody was providing more and more of the technology all in one solution. And so back then it was, it was chaos. I mean, we were selling, uh, I remember the biggest thing we used to have to do when we sold hosted is test their DSL connection mm-hmm. and make sure that the latency and the ping times and the drop packets weren't great. And a 756, you know, DSL connection, um, we, we could usually do a decent, decent phone system, but our typical recommendation was they had to go to two, mm. one for their voice, one for their data, because the biggest problems we were finding was, was, uh, sound quality. It's just not an issue anymore these days with the, the bandwidth and the technology we have. It's hmm. interesting. It's it's uh it's so funny to to think about like DSL connections. <laughs> and, yeah, know. when you're paying when you're paying the same amount for a DSL connection as you are like a you know a one gig fiber connection now. You know, you go, you even go back the older days. I mean, you'll, you'll hear a gentleman that just got into the channel and talk about selling T1s for 2,500 bucks. And those were the good old days as, mm-hmm. as they used to say. Right. So it's weird, weird to think that I'm, I'm the old school guy now talking about DSL connections. <laughs> Makes me feel old. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so tell me about like when you first, as a supplier, when you first got into the channel, um, what what was the the thinking behind there? Like, did you did you see other supplier company or carriers um, having success in the channel, or what was what made you as a company want to make that shift? Yeah, I mean, I think what what most people are attracted by the channel is this idea of residual opportunities, right? Just hey, I sign up with a TSD and the floodgates are going to open and I'm going to have so many opportunities I just don't know what to do with, right? That's the typical mentality of most people in the channel. And I think we felt the same way. I think we were excited, right? Uh, um, Teleris did a good job of kind of explaining the model. And I think for the most part, it was a little bit that way, right? There wasn't 30 different UCAS suppliers in the channel. There was, there was a handful of us and a handful of us that did it well. But our, our, our experience was more, we had to go teach people how to sell UCAS. They knew how to sell internet and they knew how to sell dial tone and they knew how to save people money. But this whole idea of UCAS was a new evolution of thinking of, Hey, this is not a cost saving solution. This is a upgrade your technology, make your people more productive. And so a lot like what cyber and cloud and mobility is trying to do today in the channel, we had to do it back then too. It's hey, this is how you sell the product. These are the talking points and these are the rebuttals. And so, um, I don't think most people entering into the channel, and we certainly didn't know back then the amount of effort and time that you had to put in to the educational piece, right? Once you get bought in with the, the TSD or the master agent, right? They know your product. They know you. They trust you. You get access to the partners and then you got to sell another level. You got to get access to the partners, train and teach them, get their buy-in, have them like you, teach them how to sell it. And then once you've done that, right? Now you're already two levels in. The third level is the end users. And then on the end user side, you're not just the single solution in there like most people think. Those those partners are typically bringing in two or three options because that's what the customer wants. So now you have to buy buy into that third level. And so, I, right for us, we didn't realize the amount of effort and time and relationships you had to build in order to get those end user uh, opportunities. Mm-hmm. And um, and you're right. I mean, it's 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 very similar to uh, a lot of the other solutions that are more prevalent now is, you know, and, and we make this correlation a lot, um, you know, with our DAS solution and what UCAS was back then, meaning, you know, instead of uh, a CapEx model, now we're trying to talk to the end user about an OpEx model. And I've, you know, I've heard that that's sort of the way that you would go about it with the the partner community. But I mean, how long did it sort of take them to grasp the idea of capex to opex or it was that even like a strategy of yours yeah no it's definitely it's definitely a conversation that you have to have but i'll, I'll tell you today that right 
I started selling in the channel 2008 ish timeframe. Uh, even today, um, 50% of the partners maybe sell UCAS. That's right. it. 50, right. maybe a little more than that, 60, 70, but I, it's not everybody. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's shocking to me that this isn't just a technology that people have and just look at as an opportunity. It's still, still not fully expressed. Now, People will argue that, hey, UCAS is just um, just table stakes now, right? It's a commodity. And, and, and I would agree to some degree that that's probably the case, right? A lot of the technology is 90, 95% the same. You have a few huge players in the market that just gobble up the majority of the market share. But there, there still is a place for, for um, some of the little guys. Um, but it is, it is, it's, it's a, it's still an education thing that a lot of partners haven't learned how to sell yet. Mm-hmm. How did you, um, you know, there was a handful of UCAS suppliers at the time. So how did you, how were you able to stand out in the crowd? I remember, I remember uh, very early on, we started selling this, this IP phone system called Zoltus and, and we thought it was the greatest thing. It was just an amazing product. But we got our asses handed to us um, by a, a company called Shortel, right? They're they're no longer around anymore. Uh, they've been gobbled up a couple times. But Shortel used to kick our ass. Like we lost deal after deal after deal. And so uh, Robert and I, the, we sat down and we made a very conscious effort to like learn everything that we can know about that product, the ins and outs. We watched demos. We talked to people. We talked to their customers. Why did you buy it? This and that. And we worked really hard to put kind of a game plan together of how do we compete? Um, how do we compete against selling it? Right. That's one thing I think is a lost art these days. Everybody's going in and they have no idea what the competition's even saying. It's, it's very important as you get into the channel. Look, you're going to be presenting yourself to these partners that have options to 400 different technologies, probably 35 to 40 different UCAS providers. And if you tell people that, Hey, our, um, our differentiators are as we have good service and good quality and, you know, white glove, white glove service. As soon as you say that 90% of the people are going to turn out because it's been such a talked about talk track that if everybody has white glove service, nobody has white glove service, right? right. There's no differentiator. So, so really learning how to differentiate, differentiate yourself in the channel is super, super, super important and doing it in a really quick manner because you have, you have Twitter, you have like Twitter, um, uh, mindset these days, right? You only have a few minutes to, to like get a point across and what makes you different and grab somebody's attention. Mm-hmm. Did you, as a supplier, did you, was it just Tolaris that you were working with or was there other TSDs in the fold at the time? Yeah, we had a couple others, usually on the smaller, uh, the smaller realm. Obviously, carrier sales being there in Utah, but they got gobbled up by Tolaris and then CNSG and a few others we started picking up and right. The consolidation in the space has happened. So they're pretty much, um, all of them are, are one of the big five now at this time. Mm-hmm. And do you think because you were so close, uh, geographically to Tolaris that it had, you know, it, it, helped with the relationship building with them or i mean do you think that plays in as a as a factor at all or 100 percent, yeah 100 percent. because we could go over once a week right everybody would come over and bring donuts or or some sort of sugary treats and we would start once a week bringing uh, oranges or or uh, little cutie tangerines or you know those types of things like a healthy treat because they got so tired of the sugar, they wanted something healthy. So, so we just showed up once a week. They don't allow you to really do that anymore. We would just show up to the office and walk around and we knew everybody in the operations side. We knew all the, the sales engineers. We knew the entire team because they were pretty much all in one office. They're not even there anymore in the office. You'll get probably four or five people in the office at any given time. So it's a little bit different now. It's harder. It's harder to get the attention. It's harder to get the people to work from home strategy. But our our proximity to how close we were absolutely gave us a leg up. Mm. What was um, what, what are some of your uh, fondest memories of the uh, I don't know, call it TSD world or the Tolaris world back then? I mean, two thousand eight, two thousand. 
12 time frame. What, what was it like back then? Yeah, uh, they had um, a technology or they had a, uh, an educational track called the TIC, Tolaris Innovation Conference, right? So we, we went to a bunch of these TICs and part of the TICs were this, this panel. And, and um, it was fun because typically the same seven, eight, nine suppliers sponsored these things. There was a few of us that went on this kind of road tour. So we felt like a bunch of roadies just, just following this, this circus around. And um, they put us up on this panel and we knew each other good enough. And the answers to the questions that we would start answering each other's questions or switching places a little bit and talking about their product. And uh, I mean, some of the funniest bloopers came out of that a lot politically incorrect, mostly, right? Some, yeah. some really bad jokes came out of it. Sure. But um, yeah, but, but back in the day when we were on these panels and, and laughing and joking and, and talking about technology was, was a lot of fun. And I think, I think that, that that energy in those spaces where, where friendships come together, right? There's some deep seated friendships. Some of my best friends are channel people now. Um, we see each other, we visit each other, we travel to go hang out. And when we're at channel partners, it's like, it's like a reunion, right? Cause we've hung out and traveled and spent late nights drinking and, and telling stories and getting to know each other. Because when you're on the road, that's your family, right? When you're away from family, you're with your family. So, um, it just, it just, uh, it was fun to get out and see everybody in that fashion. Mm -hmm. So you were on the carrier side for, you said about eight or 10 years. About 10 years. Yeah. And, um, so besides like knowing a lot of folks on the Tolaris side, I mean, what, what was it about what they were doing that made you want to transition into the TSD world? Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I really didn't have a plan um, after selling the company on where to go. Like I sold the company and was planning on just kind of like hanging out, didn't have a plan B. Um, but I loved, I loved Tolaris. I loved the people. I loved the ownership. I loved the, the uh, management. Roger, Roger Blom and Scott Forbush were kind of running the show back then. And, and when they said, Hey, we kind of need some help over here. We'd love to have you on the team. It was easy to say yes. I mean, I spent years hanging out with these guys and, and, and Hank by getting to know them and, and considered them dear friends of mine. So why wouldn't I want to go work there? So it was kind of that, that pull of culture. Um, one, one thing we really prided ourselves, um, at Yiptel, the company that I, that the UC company I owned, was the culture. I mean, we leaned into our employees. We had, you know, events and we would go camping together and we would throw parties and go see movies and just really got to know the employees and their families and their kids and just, just really drew in the, this idea of, Hey, come and learn and, and grow and build your career here. Um, and, and when I, when we sold it off, there was a huge void. Like I missed my family, right? I missed my friends. I missed. So, so the, the only thing that I really wanted was to bring that back. And Tolaris was that for me. They, they, they had a great culture with, with, uh, Roger and Scott and Amy and, you know, a bunch of the friends that were there that I really enjoyed hanging out with. So mm -hmm. just figured it'd be a fun place to work. So it's interesting. And I, I sort of, that's kind of a good segue into what you're doing now, um, with the channel advisors. And, and we've talked about, you know, strengthening relationships, building the relationships between supplier and TSD supplier and partner or advisor community. How much of that, that relationship or, or how do you measure in, in your experience, um, how, how strong your relationships are? I mean, it sounds like culture is a huge thing. So, I mean, how are you going about teaching suppliers like, you know, the ROI of a relationship. Yeah. The sad, the sad truth is, is, um, a relationship is, is great personally, but to a business, it doesn't mean anything unless revenue is generated from it. Right. So, so there's, there's lots of people that are out there that, that have great relationships, but struggle knowing how to change that relationship into something 
and something that benefits the company. And my personal experience and, and, and the way I look at it is, is my job in a role is to help people find success. And if I can help people find success, then that's my job in the relationship, right? The, the, the partners in the community are, are, are building companies, not just for fun, but to provide for families or for themselves. Um, they're looking to build revenue to, to take care of their hopes and dreams and wishes. And, and me as somebody who has a relationship with these people, my job is to help them find success and success to them is to learn how to sell stuff. Now, that can be, that can be, uh, teaching them about UCAS. It could inter- be introducing them to a supplier that they, they didn't know about that, that fills a gap in their product portfolio. It's teaching them technology. It's helping them understanding how to find opportunities. Um, uh, a funny example, very early on in my, my career at Tolaris, when I started there, um, a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Ruben Pena, who's uh, A1 BizCom out of uh, Austin, Texas, or San Antonio, Texas, him and I were having a conversation, and he has built a fantastic practice, kind of in the upbringing I did of selling prem-based phone systems. And uh, we were having a conversation. I was I was the manager uh, over the East, so I ran the East field sales team. And yes, Texas was part of East in the, in the crazy scheme of it. But I was talking to Ruben, and I said, "Hey, Ruben, you sell just a ton of um, of UCAS. Like you do really well well there." How do you not run into security? This is when cybersecurity was starting to pick up and kind of get a little bit sexy. And he's like, you know, I go into these conversations, I sell them UCAS and I ask if they need help with their security. And they say, I got a firewall, I'm good. And and he kind of laughed and he says, you know, I just, I don't have a rebuttal to that. And as as he's saying that, he says, I also realize how, how ridiculous that sounds. It's like me going into... Uh, a customer and saying, Hey, do you need a phone system? And their answer is, nah, I got an old Toshiba phone system and 40 pots lines. You know, we're good. Thanks. And, and so, so through that conversation of just talking through how to identify opportunities, how to have rebuttals, right? Now he's great at selling cybersecurity. That guy sells the whole stack up and down. And so, um, just having those conversations and, and, and working through and teaching people how to find success and sell more and wider and deeper into the channel. That's, that's the true test of a relationship. I can come bring you donuts. I can take you out golfing. That's all great. And I'm sure that's value to our relationship. But really what I think most of these people want is to help find help um, or, or help them find success. Mm-hmm. And when did you realize that that gap existed um, between maybe supplier and, you know, or, or in the channel specifically, like where, where did you, where'd you come up with that? It, it, it became very apparent at Tolaris. Uh, when, when you're there um, and you're hosting webinars and um, suppliers are coming on and presenting their deck when they're talking about their technology, uh, the amount of escalation calls I got because a supplier did something really stupid. Um you know, uh, the rules of engagement that weren't clearly defined. And now the partner's frustrated, right? There's a big deal in the funnel. Somebody comes in and registers late or, or, you know, whatever. And that deal gets lost or stolen. And now that partner is sold, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars with that supplier gets, gets, um, you know, a little sideways because of deal registration process or because somebody fell short or whatever, it made me realize that, that, you know, there's a lot of suppliers in the space that just don't understand the technology. They, not the technology. They don't understand the ecosystem. Hmm. They, they think in the most important thing is that end user deal. And it is right. That end user, that, that contract, that $10,000 contract is a big deal. But what's even a bigger deal is the amount of money you spent building a relationship with a partner that you just railroaded because of your crappy rules of engagement or because your your um, your implementation team fell short and did a really shitty job. And now they won't sell you anymore because they got a black eye for recommending you as a supplier. So um, it, it becomes really apparent um, on the TSD side because you have such a variety of suppliers and you interact with them. 
like like one supplier will call you on a weekly basis and they'll ask you for a deal, ask you for a deal, ask you for a deal. And you're like, hey, that's not how this works. And you'll have another supplier who call you up and say, hey, here's here's the changes. We just added these resources. We just made these feature sets. Here's some new ways of, of earning. Hey, we just increased our SPIF. Hey, we changed our our payouts or, hey, we added this or we added that. And they're really kind of educating you on their technology and where they're fit and they understand their differentiators and they're a great presenter. And, you know, you see that and then you see people who just who show up um, and and kind of fall short. And then you realize that there are some best practices in this place for people who succeed. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's good to know, obviously, as a supplier um, and uh it's it's interesting because you know the channel is is continuing to grow and i think suppliers in general need to understand that you know it is sort of a delicate thing balancing the or managing the relationship with these partners um and you're right i mean it it's got to be more than just transactional with these partners um so and and, and like what you said you know reaching out to them, telling them what's new rather than asking like, when's the next deal coming? I think, I think is, is a really solid piece of advice. Um, how much do you think that the TSD should be involved in those conversations with the partners? I mean, you know, obviously partners have a wide variety of suppliers and, you know, suppliers are generally, um, TSD agnostic for the most part. I mean, at least we are. So, I mean, how how involved do you think you know that that TSD should be in the conversation with with the specific partner, for example? Yeah, I think I think the answer is, is however much the partner wants them to be. Um, one one trend you're starting to see um, in in the industry with the TSDs is, is they're trying to to create some differentiators, right? Um, Avant will claim they have the best tools. Tolaris will tell they have the best resources. Sandler will say they have the best contracts, right? So they're trying to find ways to differentiate themselves. But one thing they're all doing is they're all adding resources. You see every one of them, uh, beefing up their, their, uh, sales engineer and solutions architect stack. They're all adding resources there to, to, uh, to just help the partners, right? The partners have so much technology that they have to understand. If you look at the swim lanes that the technology partners are out there trying to sell, there's nobody's going to be an expert at all of these types of stuff. So what really becomes important is to be the, the guy that knows a guy. Like I know a guy who's the expert. I can get you in and have the right resources. And they're all, they're all racing to, to kind of be that person. Hey, we have so many CISSPs or we have so many solutions architects or we have so many this or so many that. And so really, I think it comes down to whatever the partner wants. Now, they also have different sales models. So, so Tolaris's sales model is, is, Hey, I'm going to make an introduction between the partner and the supplier and I'm going to step out. Supplier, go do your thing. Like take them, teach them, train them. But make sure that that money comes back to me. One of the quickest ways suppliers can kind of cut off their own head is taking that partner that they got introduced to from a TSB and introduce them to another TSB, right? That will, that will cut your head off pretty quick. But really the partners are reaching out to these TSDs and asking for help because they just can't understand the stack. So, so more and more of them, they're coming in and they're helping them be their solutions architects. You're starting to see uh, much more of, of project management, building out a project management stack. Right. Hey, I'm going to go sell this 300 site SD WAN deal and it's combined with Internet and UCAS and and I can spend the next six months, you know, managing that project to come together. My pipeline's going to dry up. And then when this project's done, I got nothing or I can hand some of this stuff off, have them manage it and then step out and go find more deals and know and trust that they're part of my team. Right. So so. Um, and then, and then after it's sold, all these people are building account management teams to where you don't have to call in there and make sure they're happy, right? We have, we have quarterly cadences and stuff like that. So, so a lot of these, a lot of these partners are kind of stepping back and saying, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to manage employees, right? You have all sorts of different shapes and sizes, but a lot of them are saying, Hey, I don't want to manage the employees. I want to be a single contributor. I'm a sales guy by nature. I want to continue to conti uh, continue crushing it by sales. 
but I want the rest to be handed off. And so I think there's a race to the top with all these TSDs of who's going to provide the most resources and help these partners succeed. Mm -hmm. So I remembered something I wanted to ask you a little bit ago. Um, you mentioned how, you know, sometimes, uh, something will happen in implementation or, or something happens with an opportunity that a supplier and a partner are working on with an end user. So let's say something bad happens, supplier screws up, whatever. Um, you know, with what you're doing now, is that something that you coach on? Like how to rebuild a relationship between supplier and partner if something bad has happened in the past or, you know, something along the way opportunity got botched? I mean, how in your experience, how have you seen suppliers sort of rekindle those sort of relationships? Yeah. My favorite, my favorite saying ever is frustrations come from unmet expectations, right? Just having, un, having expectations and then not meeting those expectations. And sometimes expectations are written and sometimes they're just assumed. Uh, but having really clear line of communications early on in the process of having defined, Hey, this is an escalation path. These are implementation timelines. These are what you should expect in the implementation. This is your responsibility. This is our responsibility. Being really clear with the partners of how this is going to go and what to expect. Because technology fails, just does. And most people have that expectations. It's okay for technology for to fail and for people to fail. What's not okay is not to communicate and not to put effort into that communication. So when something fails, the partner shouldn't be the one calling the the the, um, the supplier. It should be the supplier calling out and saying, "Hey, just so you know, this happened. We had an outage. This went wrong. We missed these dates. Right? Here's what we're doing to fix it. Or hey, maybe it's even we don't have an answer yet, but I'll I'll, I'll give you a follow up in in 24 hours." Um, and, and a lot of times where, where you see things going wrong and the escalations that usually came up to me when I was at a TSD was that they went dark. They just couldn't, they couldn't, they were calling, they were escalating, just nothing, 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 nothing. And it wasn't until somebody with some, some, some stature and, and, and some power came in and just said, Hey guys, this is unacceptable. Escalate it to the top. You know, us at the TSDs had the, the relationships with, with, the, the CEOs or the COOs or whoever to escalate those things. Um, but, but from my perspective, early and often communication, but set expectations and meeting them. And if not very quickly reset the expectations with the partner. And if you do that, you don't need, you don't need to rebuild the relationship. Rebuilding his relationship is when you just totally screwed it up and they refuse to do business with you because you lost a partner, right? But but they're, most of the partners are fairly reasonable and understand if things go wrong. What they can't and what they don't put up with is the lack of communication and prioritization of their customer. That's well put. So just having <clears throat> having a clear set of expectations and, you know, where where does the supplier expect the partner to be involved or I mean, do, do you think there's a lot of times where the partners don't, you know, they're they want to be a little bit more hands off with the supplier where they expect the supplier to just kind of, you know, take it and run with it or, you know, because obviously not all partners are created equal. But I mean, do you think that there's different subsets of expectations in the partner community? Yeah, I mean that's that's um, that's where the relationship starts. I mean, think think about um, you married, you have kids, yeah, married, married kids, married. Yeah. Okay, so you're married. When you when you met your now wife and you started dating, you sat and talked about what the expectations. Hey, this is what I want out of life. This is what my hobbies are. Right. I've seen seen marriages where people are super enmeshed and they do everything together. My wife travels with me a lot to work events. And she loves the community. Right. And I see other people. It's like, yeah, we don't do anything together as a husband and wife. We see each other like once a week. Right. Like it, everybody's relationship is different. The question is, is are we a match for each other? Do we have systems and programs in place that, that we are a match for each other? If I'm a partner that wants to take an opportunity, and hand it off to a person and just say, go sell it. I don't want to be involved. And your company doesn't have the structure to set up the sale and, and, and have somebody to present it and have somebody to quote it, and somebody to manage the sales 
timeline and expectations, you guys probably aren't a good fit for each other. Mm-hmm. But if you've built all that and that's what the partner wants, then that's what you sell them. And you say, hey, we can do that for you. And this is how this relationship's going to work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's partners out there that want everything from, I don't want to talk to you. I want to do first level and second level support. I want to do my own quotes. I want to sell my own deals. I want to install and implement them. I want to Right. I want to bill them. I want to receive the cash. I'll play. I mean, there, there's all sorts of partners out there. Um, and, and suppliers don't have to do that. Right. Not all partners want that. And so not all suppliers have to do that. But, but knowing what you do well and making sure that that's a repeatable, successful model for you is super important to me. I'm much more of an operational guy. Like I grew up in sales, but I'm like, I'm super turnkey, operationally driven. There's a process for it. Right. Like in my mind, um, and, and one thing that we did at, at Yiptel that I just thought built an amazing culture was if something didn't go right, right? There's an escalation. We fell short. Somebody's frustrated. We would ask a question. We would ask a couple of questions. Number one, do we have a process for it? If the answer is yes, is it broken? Is it written right? Did we not, did we not account for some of these different variations? Or did the person not follow the process? I mean, it's pretty simple. And if we don't have a process, then we write a process for it so you can reproduce the success every time. And then that takes a lot of the onus off of, off of the employee. And you're not pointing fingers and saying, you suck, you suck, you suck. You just say, hey, let's provide some more training and how we can do this better. And then, then it creates a better experience for everybody. Mm. So what do you, what are some predictions that you have? This is kind of shifting gears, but with, with what you and your company are doing now, um, with everything that you're doing with the, with the supplier community and the, and the partner community, um, where do you see it going in the next five years? I mean, you know, we've talked about private equity and and all its, um, you know, influence in the channel, but I mean, where are you seeing, uh, do you think there's more suppliers that are going to be getting into the channel or, I mean, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's there's an all-time high. If you talk to any of the supplier management teams at these TSDs, they are bursting at the seams with suppliers who want into the channel. And here, here's why I think. I wrote I wrote a LinkedIn blog not too long ago about this. And here's here's my thought process. We saw a shift in the marketplace uh, earlier this year. I think maybe late, late last year. I think it was earlier this year, where. Um, uh, people were evaluated based on on EBITDA. It's no longer on revenue, right? Tech companies, SaaS-based companies used to be celebrated just for revenue. And it didn't matter if they were making profit or not. They just didn't care. We know that we could shut off the expense spigot and we would be, be profitable. But the market changed and all of a sudden, everybody's being evaluated off their EBITDA. So what did that force people to do? Number one, they laid off people, right? They cut their costs like crazy. I mean, the amount of people that got laid off, uh, I have some stats somewhere, but it was ridiculous. Like 150,000, 200,000 people got laid off. Google, Facebook, I mean, Zoom laid off 1,500 people. There was a lot of layoffs in the channel earlier this week or, or earlier this year. So, so you saw a huge channel presence and what they were trying to do was become profitable. So the channel allows them to have variable costs versus fixed costs, right? Most of the cost is in the spiffs. Of course, there's a little bit of overhead in, in managing a channel team, but you have the whole channel community as salespeople out there selling your product and you put a little bit of time and effort into it. But the main costs come once they sell your, your commissions and your spiffs, right? right? So, so what people are starting to see is this huge influx of people wanting to find variable cost sales. And so the channel's exploding. It's out there, right? More and more people are moving into it. And with all the layoffs, um, there's a lot more people who want to get into the channel. Now, to get into the channel, it, it, you ask any successful person who's been in the channel, been there, done that. It takes two years. So there's a cash flow issue there that people are struggling with. How do I float myself for two years to become to become successful? And it's hard. I mean, you got to grind and fight and bite and, and, and get through that two years. And, and hopefully, you know, you have enough equity in your home to, to mortgage it and do some of that type of stuff because you see that. But also at the same time, people are looking for ways to make more money. Inflation's gone through the roof, right? Everything costs a hell of a lot more. 
And so people are trying to find ways to find money and all the tech sectors see SaaS and this whole idea of being a partner as a way to do that. The bars, the MSPs, the integrators, all these different salespeople out there selling furniture. I mean, the amount of partners that are now coming to Tolaris, they told me last month that it was their largest recruiting month ever, right? And that makes a lot of sense because the companies are bigger nowadays. But but as more partners and more suppliers are coming into the space, it's just creating a, an ecosystem where it makes sense and, and you're going to see a lot more success. The interesting caveat that I see is, is the private equity that's come into the space recently, right? Mm-hmm. So most of the TSDs now have some sort of private equity money back to them, bought them, part of them, either that or Intellisys is, 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 um, publicly owned. Um, and, and you're seeing a big, um, margin compression. Partners are asking for more and more pass through, right? Mm-hmm. 75% used to be the standard. Then it went up to 80. Now you're seeing 85. Top partners are getting 90. And there's just pushing more and more of that. Um, the TSDs are starting to push back because private equity bought two years ago and all the partners are asking for more and more pass through. And the private equity companies are like, hell no, we got to make our money now for the second round of funding or sales. So they're pushing back on that, but they're also pushing to the suppliers and asking them for more. Right. It's coming in, in, in MDF funds. It's coming in bonuses. If we hit certain milestones, want more money because those, those matter to them. Look, the, the math is fairly simple. If you have a hundred thousand dollars in sales as a supplier and you pay 20%, that's $20,000 in, in money, um, that you're paying a month. Now, if you're an 80 20 partner, that means Tolaris or the TSDs are now getting $4,000 a month of that 20,000. 4,000 times 12 months is what, $48,000 is what they got. If you say, hey, if we hit 100,000 sales, will you give us a $50,000 bonus? And the answer is yes. Then they just doubled their revenue based on a bonus. So those bonuses matter to them. But what you're also seeing is the partner saying, hey, we're the ones that got you there. Mm-hmm. We made that money for you. We sold. We should get portions of that. And so you're now starting to see this underling of other TSDs starting to spring up that are partner driven, right? Hey, we're going to, con- we're going to come together as a partner group or we're going to create this to where it's a partner first TSD. It's an aggregation of partners in a buying cycle. And the TSDs are getting so frustrated with, with the requests. And the, the return on their investments and some of that type of stuff that they're saying, hey, I'm going to go spend my money anywhere else I can. If there's another option out there, I'm going to go find it. Hmm. So do you think the TSDs will become sort of, I mean, similar to uh, what happened in 2008, like too big to fail sort of thing? I mean, do you think that these other, call them super agents or, you know, smaller TSDs, I think, do you think there's going to be more... Um, I don't know, influx of different TSDs or, I mean, or do you think that the, uh, the, the top TSDs are going to remain king for a while? I think, I think they'll always remain there in some fashion. I mean, if you look at the hardware sector, right, uh, the VAR community and the way that those worked, right, it's, right, people could go into Rex, you can do that, but there's always, there's always a small group of partners that don't have the buying power or can't do something and they need a place to land, right? Most of the big partners these days have been gobbled up by these, by these conglomerates, right? The private equity that are doing, right? The upstacks and the blue waves of the world. And you're seeing more and more and more of those happening. But when all the big partners are gone and not not feeding into the TSDs, where that revenue going? Now, some of them will funnel that back in, but I can't imagine that's going to be a long-term play. Mm. Suppliers are going to go to the blue waves and the upstacks, and, and they're going to have their own, right? All they're doing is cutting out the middleman, right? Mm. So so the TSDs will find themselves, I think, in, a, in an interesting situation. They're going to have more competition come up. Maybe it's more people to acquire. But I think in the next three to four years, I think the channel space is going to be so different. We're not going to even recognize it because mm-hmm. at that point, the second round of funding is going to come in, right? All these, all these private equities that bought two or three years ago are going to want out and they're going to sell it off to the next round. So we'll see what that looks like. 
What about how consumers, meaning, uh, you know, these end user organizations, do you think that it's going to be, there's going to be more um, end user organizations using trusted advisors or, you know, um, strategists, as some call it? Do you think that's going to be the main way that organizations buy technology solutions in general? Yeah, but look, maybe I'm jaded. Maybe I just see so much value in this space um, that it makes sense for me. I, I don't know why anybody would go directly to a supplier to buy anything, right? Because you're going to get one pitch and then you got to do the other pitch. Having somebody that knows the ecosystem and the landscape of the different suppliers and the differentiators and why one's better and one's other, and it doesn't cost you anything, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's the same, it's the same situation. Like I don't, like if I'm a, if I'm a tech if I'm a company I'm not going directly necessarily to 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 Cisco I'm not going directly to Microsoft I can but my better experience is going to a bar I don't I don't think that the SaaS environment is all that different from this and in fact if anything you're going to have more of those because all of these bars who have been providing hardware and equipment and nobody is necessarily buying hardware and equipment anymore. Everything's a, a SaaS-based model. Everything's changing to a, a monthly subscription cost versus a, a CapEx cost that all these people are going to slowly come into one place. And so and so it's just going to make sense. That's what we've done for years and that's what we'll continue to do. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are any technologies, because you work with a lot of different suppliers, but you think there's a, any technologies that should be getting more attention rather than, you know, obviously AI is really popular for a lot of reasons. Security, like we talked about, um, you know, sort of uh, customer experience is is a big thing um, in our circles right now. But is there anything that you don't think is getting enough attention or any suppliers that have something that should be getting looked at closer? Yeah, AI is an interesting one because um, you just don't go out and buy AI, right? You just typically don't. It's not, it's not a line item. It's not a commodity. But what a lot of the suppliers are doing are finding ways to take AI and bring it into their technology, right? You have, you have the, uh, the UCAS, CCAS companies coming in and providing AI for different experiences. You're having the cybersecurity companies use AI to find threats, right? So they're using AI. So AI is super important. I think it's going to evolutionize, revolutionize the world as much as the computer did. I think it's going to change us that much. Um, But I don't think, I don't think that, that um, channel people have to go necessarily learn AI. I think they learn the technology and how AI is influencing it. And then that's, that will put them in a, in a better spot. But I do think cybersecurity is one that's, that's a very interesting uh, conversation. And the way I look at it is wars are no longer fought with guns and bombs. Wars are fought over, over bits and bytes. Um, and, and, and we are in a full out war. And, and the best way to look at it is the partners are arms dealers now, right? They are going out and they are arming businesses with the weapons they need to fight these cyber criminals, right? The bad, the bad actors are now competing against the good guys. And we're providing them with the tools and the resources to do it. And I think in the next couple of years, you're going to see cybersecurity selling like internet, right? Mm. We're going to talk about the good old days when you could sell this for this amount of money. And pretty soon it's going to be a commodity because everybody's got to buy it, right? The technology is speeding up so fast and, and the bad actors are just more on top of it than the good guys are. I think they're ahead of us and we're continuing to play catch up. Um, and I think as we spread the word about cybersecurity and how it's needed and what the threats are, and I hate, I hate the, 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 the FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt sell yeah, to cybersecurity because sure. there's yeah. a lot of that. But the fact is, it's a dangerous place out there. Like businesses really, really struggle against, um, uh, what, what can and what, what will be happening here in the near, the near future. Mm. I love the prediction. I, I think you're right. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's, there are a lot of bad actors out there. And, uh, you know, I think as suppliers, we need to, you know, have that as a part of our conversation with partners and, uh, just in general to the market, you know, that's, that's where the market's headed, but, um, all right. 
I always like to end with uh, one final thing. We're coming up on time. So if you had to give yourself advice um, when you're just getting into the channel or the technology space, or maybe anybody that's just getting into the technology or channel space, what would that be? Learn. Have a thirst for knowledge and learn. One of the things I missed out on, I think specifically at my time at Tolaris, was uh, the ability to sit down and consume the information. A lot of the times at the academies, the boot camps, the pit stops, whatever you call them, right? Educational sessions. Um, I was distracted. I had other team members that needed help. I had partners that needed help, and I didn't consume the technology like I should. This technology is changing faster and faster every day, right? The speed of the rate of change is way beyond what we can handle. Um, and the people who are going to succeed in this space have a thirst for knowledge and understand the technology in a way that, that they can understand how to fix people's needs. And you can't do that unless you understand it. So a thirst for knowledge, I would spend more time, free time, instead of binge watching my favorite Netflix shows or, or doing some of that type of stuff. Get excited about the technology. Get excited about the solutions it provides. Get excited about how it can help people. Spend time on ChatGPT. Spend time making silly photos of yourself using AI. I encourage my kids every day to embrace the new technology and figure out how they can help them get through school faster, learn stuff faster, whatever. And and we're just in that we're just in that era. We're in that day and age that the person who knows the most about technology wins. Well said. All right. So tell everybody how they can find you or, you know, what you have coming next or uh, anything you'd like to say. Yeah, look, I, I'm happy to help. My my uh, my calendar is fairly, fairly full, but always open to new relationships, new ideas, helping people out in the channel, whatever it looks like. Suppliers, TSDs, partners, uh, I'm there for everybody. Uh, you can go to thechanneladvisors.com is my website or Cameron at thechanneladvisors.com. Or you can call my cell at 469-955-4565. Excellent. Cameron Olson, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to do this again. I had a good time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate you. That's a wrap on this episode of the Channel Champions podcast. You can find this and all our episodes on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite streaming platforms. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, guests, or topics, please reach out to us. We appreciate you coming along with us on this journey and hope you'll be back for the next episode. Until then, stay tuned, stay connected, and stay inspired.